the story of Greek archaeology or the story of Greece isn't a story that exclusively belongs to places like Athens and Argos and Mycenae and Sparta, but is rather something that's more broadly diffused. Hi, you're listening to Looted, where we uncover the hidden stories of ancient artifacts and their journeys in the illicit antiquities trade. I'm Zoe Contes, and I'm an archaeologist. Welcome to Episode 6, Search and Recovery, part of our Field Notes series, in which I do less of the talking and more of the listening along with you. We're moving out of the museum and into the field, and in this and other episodes like it, we hear what real live archaeologists have to say about looting on their excavations. On the show today, you'll hear some excerpts of a conversation I had with archaeologist Dimitri Nakasis, where we talk about his work in an area of southern Greece called the Argolid. Dr. Nakasis discusses two kinds of archaeological work, a pedestrian survey of the countryside and a salvage excavation of a Mycenaean cemetery. Although these projects had different aims, a common thread that connects them is the question of preservation How do we protect archaeological material, whether from agricultural processes or looting, and who should play a role in this? What are some ways in which local people can be better connected to their heritage and thereby protect it? Dr. Nakasis is the chair of the Department of Classics at the University of Boulder and a 2015 MacArthur Fellow. The MacArthur Award is also known as a genius grant. I knew him before he was publicly anointed a genius when we studied at the American School of Classical Studies in Athens as graduate students millennia ago. Even then, it was clear he was destined for greatness in the field. His research focuses on the Mycenaean societies of late Bronze Age Greece, around 1300 to 1100 BC, a culture known for their advancements in writing and architecture. We call them Mycenaeans after the site of Mycenae, where a palace structure, fortification walls, and large tholos, or beehive-shaped, stone-built tombs provide an exciting glimpse into the upper echelons of this society, and whose famous so-called Lion Gate acts as a backdrop to tens of thousands of tourist photos every year. In this discussion, however, you'll hear about the Mycenaean societies outside of the main palace center and how information is gleaned about them from both archaeological survey and excavation of a smaller and more common type of tomb than the Tholos tomb, the chamber tomb. Dug out of hillside bedrock, these tombs consist of a circular or rectangular main chamber entered through a sloping passage called a dromos. First, let's hear from Dr. Nakasis about his survey project the Western Argolin Regional Project, which aims to understand the settlement history, political developments, and networks between the communities in the region, including the Mycenaean period, but throughout the region's prehistory and history. I started by asking him to explain what survey is and how the process works on his project. Survey was something that became really popular in Greece, at least, um, I guess, in the 50s and 60s, and then especially the 70s, the 80s and 90s, as a way to try to understand what's going on in broader regional terms, um, especially trying to understand what's going on in the countryside without 
in a, in a, in a way that was, you know, cost effective and, and reasonable in terms of time management. Students walk through fields looking on either side, um, basically about a meter on either side. So, you know, like one big step on either side mm-hmm. um, to, and they'll pick up whatever pottery they see um, and, you know, stone tools and tiles um, and other kinds of things. You know, we have one coin, um, that sort of stuff. Um, and so then at the end of this, at the end of the field, all the students will get together and they'll put all the material into one bag. Um, they'll take some notes about what they've seen in addition to whatever they've picked up, and then they move on to the next field. And so we, we, we move through territory that way. So it's like an archaeological search party. Yeah, like a really systematic um, archaeological search party. Next, we talked a little bit about the differences between survey and excavation. Excavation gives you an insane amount of information about a very small area. And surveys, kind of the flip side of that, gives you um, a kind of superficial, almost you know, literally superficial um, understanding about a very large area, um, you know, which gives it a, you know, gives it a different kind of um, power compared to excavation. You know, excavation, very often you can, you know, because of because you're digging stratigraphically, you can, um, you can get really specific about um, when specific things are happening um, in your excavation survey. It's a lot harder to do that, um, but what you get are very broad patterns. Um, which allow you to analyze long-term changes over pretty big areas. Um, and then obviously you can compare your results to other regions. So different, every region, every valley has a sort of different story, a different history, um, depending on how it connects to, to other parts of the countryside and, and what's happening, you know, what resources are available and so on and so forth. We then turn the conversation to looting and whether it has an effect on survey projects. In our case, you know, in the case of survey, it can be difficult to pick up evidence of looting unless you, you know, see a pit or something, you know, where people have obviously dug. Uh-huh. Um, you know, if if we know about a site, then, you know, we can pretty much guarantee that everybody living in the area has known about it for a lot longer than, right. than, than we've known about it. So, you know, like, like in most situations, you know, um, we, where archaeologists are coming to these sites um, or areas, you know, well after um, other people. Um, but generally, I don't, yeah, looting doesn't affect us so much because most of what we're collecting is material that's brought up to the surface through sort of natural, um, you know, processes of, agricultural labor, right? So you, you know, farmers plow fields um, or they bulldoze fields. And in doing that, they bring all this material to the surface. So in some ways, you know, it's through modern activity in the landscape that we can find the things that we find, you know, in, in landscapes where they're totally abandoned, it's often very difficult to do archeological survey because they're very overgrown. You know, if you know, right. you know this from working in Greece that, Hill slopes that are abandoned are just covered in this, um, in maquis, right? right. This uh, prickly oak and so hard to get through um, unless goats, you know, have made paths through it. <laughs> um, a couple of sites we we worked on this past summer were the tops of hills where there were no paths that we could find. It was just like, you know, 40 minutes of us pushing through oh my gosh. prickly oak. It wasn't very much fun. Yeah. 
especially when you get to the top of the hill and you realize you forgot to bring a crucial piece of equipment with you. Um, that's really frustrating. <laughs> that was that was me. <laughs> oh man. Um, so really what you want is, or like a vineyard is a great field to survey. You know, you just walk through, you just walk through the rows of vines um, and usually they're really clean. You know, they're, right. all the weeds have been removed and um, they're really nice to walk through. Um, in our survey area, it was a sort of a mix. You know, we didn't, it wasn't the easiest t- territory to survey. We had lots of fields that were, you know, weedy and um, that weren't super well maintained. Um, no goats to help you out. There's some, there's some, you know, the, the area we were surveying, it used to be very, you know, the, the economy used to be very much based on um, pastoralism and, you know, cheese making and that kind of stuff. But, but all that's changed in the last 50 years with the advent of, of deep drilling um, for water and mechanical pumps. People can, actually irrigate their fields um, at some you know significant cost of the hydrology of the argillid because right. you know the water table um, is dropping but um, but they can get water um, and they can irrigate their fields and so a lot a lot of people who used to be pastoralists are now you know apricot farmers and orange farmers and, and wow. doing that kind of stuff okay yeah there's not a lot of money in um, in goat herding <laughs> I, I suspect yeah <laughs> I suspect you're right about that. And it's hard work, right, compared to to farming. Um, It's really hard work. We moved on from our goats discussion to another project in the region that Dr. Nikasis participated in, a series of tombs that were being actively looted. The results of this excavation are available in an excellent publication, which you can find listed on Looted's website. Let's hear what he has to say about it. So about 10 years ago, I worked on a project... um, where we were excavating Mycenaean chamber tombs in the Nemea Valley. And there, the whole project was kind of oriented around looting because um, the, that valley was being actively looted and those tombs were being actively looted. So the whole point of the project was to try to, um, may, may not stay ahead of the looters because that's kind of impossible, but right. um, at least salvage whatever information we could from those tombs um, once they had been looted and then to try to excavate other tombs in the same plot um, so that we could, you know, um, yeah, talk about those communities um, in a meaningful way rather than just sort of following behind looters and trying to, you know, salvage whatever we could. And then also excavating tombs that hadn't been looted. And what was interesting there was that in some cases we found evidence of the looters looking for the tombs. Really? So one of the tombs I excavated, um, when we were digging through the topsoil, we found these perfectly um, round holes. So I guess you would, they were um, like cylinders, uh-huh. um, drilled into the earth at regular intervals. And then the topsoil had like sort of fallen into the holes, right? So like, uh-huh. Are, are, we had really good excavators um, who could find these things. Um, and what obviously what had happened was these looters were using some kind of, you know, drill, I guess. 
and just drilling down through the topsoil, trying to find, um, you know, trying to find an open space, you know, like a, a cavity right. where the tomb was. Um, and they actually drilled right across the uh, the dromos, this entranceway to a Mycenaean right. chamber tomb. But missed um, it. Yeah, they didn't notice it. Um, you know, I guess they should have, right? Because if they were the dromos, these are, you know, these uh, sort of rectangular, long corridors um, that go down towards the main chamber of the tomb. And they're dug out of the bedrock, which isn't super hard. You know, it's just sort of um, could sort of consolidated clay um, soil. And then they fill it back in. So that the soil inside the dromos is softer, right, than the surrounding right. um, natural soil. So these guys sh should have probably picked it up. But the workmen were all joking that they were probably, um, yeah, probably drunk. <laughs> um, and so not paying, you know, not not being very careful about the way they were doing it. You know, luckily for us, because um, right. that, that tomb was undisturbed. You know, none of these tombs had anything really valuable in them. They were just pottery and the occasional stone bead, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, I think we found a tiny bit of bronze in some of the tombs, but no, nothing nothing super spectacular, certainly not by like Mycenaean standards, you know, so nothing like the stuff that they, that's been coming out of the tombs at Idonia, you know, just like half an hour to the West. Um, yeah. These were sort of like regular Mycenaean chamber tombs. Just as an aside, stay tuned for an upcoming looted episode on Idonia, a very interesting tomb site with a storied history of looting. Then there was one tomb that they had partially looted, which we were excavating, um, you know, excavating what hadn't been dug out. And, you know, we were doing that project was really focused on um, sort of scientific analysis. So we were, you know, we were water sieving um, pretty much everything um, to see if we could find any um, evidence of, um, but, you know, seeds and other kinds of organics. Uh -huh. um, we were using, we were doing um, phytolith analysis to see if we could find any evidence of other kinds of um, plants that were part of the funerary ritual, the Mycenaean funerary ritual. Um, and so it made sense for us to, to try to excavate as much as we could um, that was left, that the looters had left for us to try to salvage that, you know, like little right. bits of bone that would tell us something about the people who were interred in the tombs. We were doing soil micromorphology. You take a, a section of the of the soil that you're excavating um, and you take it to a special lab and it you know I don't do this but other people do this where it gets um they 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 impregnate the the soil with this resin that makes it super hard and they take um, really thin slices um, of the soil which they can which they can then look at under a microscope so even on um, the tombs that have been looted you can still do that kind of test and learn something yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the looters are, are looking for things of value. So they're generally not, you know, <laughs> collecting stuff like bones. Um, right. And obviously, that's the kind of stuff that we're really interested in to, to understand the sort of demographic um, profile of the burying population. Um, you know, what kinds of, you know, if we have enough of the skeleton to understand what kinds of pathologies and, um, and stuff are present. 
So, so yeah, we were, we were collecting basically as much as we could. And then, you know, like broken pottery gives us a sense of the date. Um, you know, even if we don't have a complete, you know, a complete assemblage of the whole tomb, you know, we still have something. Right. Um, we also, it was also funny. They also, the looters also excavated something they clearly thought was a tomb, but was not. It was just like an opening in the, in the, in the rock, in the soil, um, probably from like an earthquake or something. The only evidence they left of their, besides like the, 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 the digging was lots of cigarette butts. Um, we had that. So they're obviously smoking. Yeah. But that was about it. There was no evidence of actually them drinking or anything like that. In Sicily, we, we would find uh, batteries from flashlights and stuff. Metal, metal detectors, I think. Oh, flashlights uh, yeah. is a good idea, but yeah. Um, and cigarette butts. I'll just interrupt our conversation here to add a plug for Looted Episode 4, where you can hear about the time looters dug up our trenches in the middle of the night. Dr. Nikasis has a similar story here. Yeah, there was one day where we we were coming down onto the floor of the tomb, and we were really worried that someone that that something like that might happen. And so I volunteered to stay behind and sort of guard the tombs. But like, I didn't have anything to guard them with. You know, I didn't have like a gun or anything. I was just it was just me. You by against myself. the looters. And um, I remember calling um, uh, Sarah, my wife, on my cell phone, and she said, "Well, what are you going to do if looters come?" And I said, I don't know, probably run away and call Jim. <laughs> I mean, what was I going to do? Did you uh, spend the night out there? No, I stayed out there until dinner time, I think. And then the foreman um, went out, came out there to relieve me. Oh, my gosh. Um, That's and he actually had he actually had a gun with him. Um, but yeah, we didn't but we didn't have any problems as long as we were working there. We didn't have any problems. But then, you know, the problem is, what, what do you do when you're done? I mean, you can build a fence around the site. Um, and, you know, maybe that's like a, you know, a responsible thing to do. But then, you know, any, anyone can get around a fence. if So, you know, it, um, the long term, you know, these are um, real serious long term issues. Um, that, And I think, you know, for me anyway, that's that's the thing that concerns me the most. Mm-hmm. Um is sort of long-term planning. Um, and that's something that I've been thinking about a little bit um, for our survey is, you know, how do you, how do you work to, to preserve the, um, the, the archeological record in these areas um, down the road? Because um, enforcement is not easy, right? Yeah. Um, and, and protection, you know, through sort of physical fences and that kind of stuff isn't easy. Um, so, you know, we have, I think the, the, the challenge is thinking about how to, how to create some kind of structure um, that allows us to, to prevent this stuff happening down the line. Well, and um, it's expensive to have fences or guards or, you know, some kind of infrastructure that mm-hmm. protects these things, but it's, it's the local communities, people from the local communities that, that are the looters. Yeah, very often. I mean, unless I guess you have professionals coming in from outside. Yeah. But a lot of times it's, it's, it's local people. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's always been the, the struggle for me is that, um, you know, in Greece, there can be a, there can be a real, I don't know. 
general attitude of mistrust on both sides. So, you know, professional archaeologists in Greece, um, whose job it is, you know, to protect um, this stuff. In part, that's their job, right? Um, to the best of their ability. Um, you know, they are understandably mistrustful of um, people living in these local communities because, yeah, they're aware, right? Just, what, just like we said, you know, some of them are are looters. And then it's interesting, you know, my experience working in Greece is that a lot of people in these communities are also mistrustful of Greek archaeologists um, because, you know, you hear different stories, right? Which, you know, none of which I take super seriously. Um, but, you know, the, the, the truth value of the stories isn't as important as the fact is these people clearly don't feel warm and fuzzy, right, towards um, a lot of these professional archaeologists. Like and what kind of, of stories? That, like, you know, that archaeologists excavated a tomb and they said they didn't find anything, but they pocketed, they oh, probably right. pocketed the good stuff. Yeah. Like, I don't believe that stuff. Um, but, um, and then, of course, these people are, you know, local farmers are afraid that their their land is going to be confiscated or something like that. They won't be able to do anything with it. and They won't get any money from it and this kind of stuff. We delved into this problem a bit further. The difficulty of dealing with private land and the fear of land confiscation by the government should something archaeologically interesting show up when you're farming your field, for instance. Dr. Nikasis talks here about an example of the issue. I went to go visit an old site that we had found in 2014, and the landowner had bulldozed the plot. And, and he had bulldozed straight through archaeological layers, um, including a couple of tombs. And they're like bones sticking out of the Oh, scarf. my gosh. And I documented it all and um, wrote a report for the local archaeological service. But, um, but I think the, the long-term plan is once we figure out who the landowner is to, um, I don't think she can, I don't think she's going to expropriate the land, but I think she can try to, um, give him like a, like a legal warning or something. The problem is that he can claim and, you know, I, you know, I might even be tempted to believe him depending that he really didn't know, you know, um, kind of hard to believe because there's so much stuff there. (laughs) Um, but you know, it wasn't like he, it wasn't like he had bulldozed through like a, you know, a Greek temple or something like that. And they weren't huge, you know, he, he wasn't moving huge ashlar blocks around. Um, but it was big enough, I think. And if I'm sure he probably realized, but you know, I, I'm sort of sympathetic to them in a way. I mean, he had no reason to expect that there would be a big archeological site under his field. And like, once he started doing it, I mean, what is he going to do? You know, it's, I, I, I think he, the, the laws in Greece and generally speaking, put landowners in a bit of a difficult position. So I think that's part of the reason why you have this kind of antagonistic relationship between um, local communities and archaeological authorities. So, you know, it's it's a bad situation, you know. Um, I think the only way, I mean, I think, you know, if if the looters are coming from local communities and the, social, the solutions also have to be local, right? Right. I just don't think 
that it's possible to to solve lo- those kinds of local problems through administrative fiat, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess you could, if there were money, you could hire a bunch of guards and policemen, but, you know, it's really not a practical solution. So I don't know. I, I've been, you know, we've been talking a lot on the survey about things we could do to improve the situation, either through like educational programs, um, you know, just talking to people um, in the villages about these sites, because I think there is a notion whenever I've talked to people. So one of the things that we had to do on the survey is we had to go to the villages and talk to people and say, listen, we're going to do this survey. This is what we're doing. If you don't want us to be on your property, like, please let us know. And, you know, we'll honor um, your request. Right. And nobody, almost nobody has been um, upset about us being on their property. Um, occasionally people have called the cops cause they didn't, cause they hadn't heard. Um, but nobody has really objected in principle to the idea that we would walk through their property and pick up broken potsherds. And what everyone says to us is like, no, why would we be upset about what we're doing? You're, you're giving, um, you're giving good publicity to our village is what they always say. Now there is a sense that, that this is good for the village. So I think if, you know, through educational programs, um, especially, and this is a lot of this stuff is already being done right by, by Greek archeologists. Yeah. Um, but I think if we can, if we can help in that effort, um, those are the kinds of long-term solutions, um, that I see actually working, right. Local communities, um, embracing, um, embracing local heritage, um, and protecting it for themselves, right? Not because of any legal obligation they have, but because of some kind of, um, I don't know, moral obligation. That's not quite right, but you know, some kind of sense of local pride and of local belonging, right? Yeah. Whenever we would tell people we were doing this survey, they always thought that we were kind of crazy you know because we're because we're working in an area where they're you know i think a lot of greeks think and a lot of people think that archaeologists only work in big sites like you sort of unesco world heritage sites you know yeah so you know there's this sort of sense of like why are you working here you should be working in mycenae or you should be working at tyrans or you should be working at argos right mm-hmm. like these big sites that tourists go to um Obviously, that's not the point of doing an archaeological survey, right? If you're interested in the countryside, if you're interested in like regular folks, sort of generally speaking, then you're not going to be working at Mycenae or Tyrans because you're not going to find out a huge amount about regular folks there. Um, So they were always surprised that we were interested in what was happening in their villages to begin with. So I think that, you know, that's an opening, right? To say like, no, there's a lot interesting happening here. Like there's a story we could tell about this village or this area. Um, and it's really your story, right? It's, yeah. um, it's something that, that belongs to you guys. You know, the, so I think that's the other thing that we can hopefully raise awareness that, um, yeah, the, the, the story of Greek archaeology or the story of Greece um, isn't a story that 
you know, kind of exclusively belongs to places like Athens and Argos and Mycenae and Sparta, but is rather something that's um, more broadly diffused. Um, but I think sort of fighting against all of that is a kind of very practical orientation to the past um, in the places where I've worked in Greece, and especially in the Western Argolid, where people see it as a kind of practical resource to be exploited, you know? Like, if an archaeological site is big enough that you can get tourists to come, and you can, you know, you can make some money off of tourism, then that's great. But if it's not, then it's kind of useless, right? right? Yeah. So, and that's, you know, totally understandable. Um, but I guess it's, you know, trying to make the case to them that um, it's not, it's worth, it's worth protecting and preserving um, and celebrating. Celebrating for sure. Dr. Nakasis and I talked a bit further about Ways Forward and some work being already done through their survey project, such as the creation of educational materials for use by school teachers to engage students with their local heritage from a young age. You can learn more about their work by checking out their website, linked in Ludwig's bibliography for this episode. That's it for today, but there are many more archaeologists with stories to tell. Check out www.ludedpodcast.org for more stories images related to this broadcast, as well as links to further online learning about the survey project and the Mycenaean tombs, and selected sources I used in my research. There are many excellent scholars studying these issues. You can also find at Looted Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I hope to see you there! This podcast is made possible with the support of the Whiting Foundation and Kenyon College. Special thanks to my guest, Dimitri Nikasis. Original music by Noah Weinman. You can find a link to the show's theme song on my website, and you can listen to his band, Runner, on Spotify. Spotify.